everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. And this year, as you know, we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is now out of beta and back available for Android and in the Google Play Store. Uh, So you guys can go and check that out. It's live. I was using it in Wisconsin. I've been checking it almost every day. And interestingly enough, it's showing both full range and transition areas even this time of year. And that's kind of why I set up where I did in this transition area, as you'll hear about in the podcast here, based on Spartan Forge. Uh, they're mapping the the visuals. The different map layers that they have are just incredible compared to what you get uh, from Onyx or even Base Map. Base Map, I think, is better than Onyx, but it doesn't have seven different choices or however many there are in Spartan Forge. I think there may be six, but definitely check that out, SpartanForge.ai. And right now, they also have a GoFundMe for the boot campaign. That's the beneficiary of anything from their veterans hunt, any money raised from the sponsors, everything is going towards that boot campaign, which helps get veterans involved in the outdoors. So uh, you can check that out at, again, SpartanForge.ai or go on their Instagram. But got to give some quick shout outs to to some of the Patreon, some of the followers um, that are just killing it out there. And, you know, we want to share all of your successes. So, you know, tag us in your photos when you're you're killing stuff, and we'll give you a shout out. Robbie Signor with the Knox and Hooks boys. I met them up at TAC. Uh, just a really fun group of guys. You can tell through what they're doing. Good group of guys, just having a blast. Uh, you can check them out at Knox and Hooks. But congrats, they put down a couple of different bucks. Shot a coyote. Uh, shot shot a doe just the other day. Doing a lot of stuff, filming off the ground. And Adam Hudson out of West Virginia shot a great buck spot and stock. Not sure if that's the one that he's been chasing for, for many, many years, but uh, great buck nonetheless. And then from Latitudes, Alex just killed a great public land buck the other day uh, here in Michigan. Uh, so congrats to Alex. And then, of course, JT Bouchard with um, Redneck Rising just continues to uh, kill it. And most of these guys, you know, we're following along with them, friends of the show, Patreons. Patreon is a uh, crowdfunding for creators. Um, basically it helps us to be able to do the things, uh, that we do with the show to do our giveaways, to be able to record on this equipment, host, have the website, uh, all the things that we do. And we try and give back as much as we can. So, you know, if you sign up for, uh, $10 tier or whatever, uh, we'll send you a shirt, we'll send a swag pack to everybody that signs up. We really do appreciate it. Stickers, koozies. Actually, I need to get some more koozies um, ordered. Uh, this reminds me, but I uh, really do appreciate it. This podcast was just a quick trip to Wisconsin with uh, Alex and Jake from Latitudes and went over there. They'd hunted there a few years prior and they were on deer on a property that they had hunted, and they were on big deer, uh, 150s plus, and 
I just picked a spot on the map. Um, I didn't want to try and hone in on their spots. I did hunt with them one day, but I went and just found some public, uh, found a lot of guys, tried to get away from the guys a little bit, uh, but I only had three days to hunt. So this kind of goes through that whole trip. Uh, great fun, great guys. You can check their stuff out at Latitude Outdoors. Obviously, they have the Method 2 saddle and uh, the classic that I like. John's hunting out of the other one, but Either way, I know you guys are going to love this. Um, thanks for listening. Tell somebody about the podcast. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help support. But um, check that out at bowhunterchronicles.com or patreon.com forward slash Chronicles podcast. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. I'm sitting in like... This extremely upscale uh, hotel here in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, doing uh, a little deer camp with uh, two thirds of the the Latitude crew. Um, Alex, he's been on the podcast before uh, a couple times with the Vitals, and then with with Latitude, he came over uh, to the pole barn there. And Jake, have you ever been on a podcast? Uh, not this one. I think we've done two smaller ones when I was actually on the podcast, but this is the first one with you. Okay, so that you're that you're not. Uh, this isn't your first time. Yeah, I'm not a, a podcast virgin, but uh, yeah, we haven't done too many of them. So, so why don't you introduce yourself, Jake, since you're new to uh, our listeners here? All right. Well, I'm Jake Metallic. Um, you know, one of the three co-owners of latitude outdoors i guess you know my role in the company is i'm I'm kind of on the product development manufacturing side of things you know alex is you know sales and marketing and kevin is our ceo kind of the numbers guy so and also does a lot with the uh, product development as well with his engineering background but you know grew up with Alex, <clears throat> you know, hunting and fishing, went to high school together, met Kevin in college, and um, yeah, just always been really passionate about hunting, fishing, being outdoors, and been doing it forever, so it's kind of a dream come true that we kind of followed our passion, launched this little endeavor we've got going here, and you know, it's going well, so. Yeah, so. We met um, Kev because Kev and Jake were on the football team together at Michigan. So that's how all three of us kind of got together. Yeah, so Kevin, he was a uh, – he walked on as a freshman under the during the Lloyd Carr age or era. And uh, I came on as a freshman two years later under the Rich Rod era. And Kevin actually introduced me. He, he <coughs> knew my, my dad and – he kind of introduced us and Kevin introduced me to some of the coaches down there. And I ended up walking onto the team for like a half a season as a a kicker. Um, And I think one day we were talking in the locker room actually about steelhead fishing and the Muskegon river came up Michigan and Kevin was a big steelhead fisherman, but it was always waiting 
the, the Rogue River going down town Grand Rapids, the Sixth Street Dam. We're like, well, have you ever floated the Muskegon? He's like, no, I haven't. I've waited it a couple times, but you know, I'd like to float. It's like, well, I got this little 14-foot John boat. Let's go float the river. And we did, and we, we've been uh, hunting and fishing buddies ever since. So Cool. So we're we're down here in over here, whatever, wherever. We're we're in Wisconsin uh for a quick little uh deer camp. Um I actually I'll be leave, I think we're all leaving tomorrow. I got I'm not gonna hunt in the morning, but um I drove through the night on Halloween, got here, took a nap and went out to the Tr- woods and trick or treated, <laughs> went right to the woods. Yeah. That was impressive. <laughs> yeah, and so you guys have been here before. Like, how did this come about? Like, what you know, you got guys from Detroit and Michigan guys here, and I mean, there's like one little restaurant or the gas station in this town, and this freaking ridiculous <laughs> motel thing that we're in. Um, it, it, this was <laughs> completely random. This motel. <laughs> I did not know this was here. <laughs> it's an interesting area out here for sure. I mean, it's remote, but it's not um it it's it's kind of an affluent area it seems like. Like there's a lot of retired people out here and it's a beautiful area. I see why people want to move out here. Um but I don't know if there was a specific reason we came out here other than the fact that I just really I really I love to explore. I mean, that's probably what I like most about hunting. I I never really I get sick of spots. I'm a little ADD with spots and I just like new terrain and I like learning and trying to figure stuff out. And, uh, even though it's a struggle sometimes like this week, (laughs) but, um, so I, I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin's got massive deer, right? I mean, it's a beautiful area with incredible deer. So I I guess we should mention that we're in, uh, Southwest Wisconsin. So kind of hill country, Wisconsin. You haven't been on a lot of podcasts. You don't give away your spots. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. There's a (laughs) you spent hours working on uh, figuring this place out. (laughs) That's a big. Okay, so it's a little town. That's a quarter of the state. There's like there's like four of them to choose from. (laughs) Um, But well, maybe we'll have to edit it out. (laughs) So, uh, but like, it's funny to me just that you'd say like that you're struggling. So like. You know, you came down, I think, maybe on Halloween or the night before, and, like, these guys were here last year and, you know, got into some good deer and found some areas. And, like, I don't know if it was, like, last week or the week before, you're, like, sending me, like, a couple pins and, like, this weird-ass Wisconsin map to, like, try and decipher. Yeah. I'm just – and then I, I drive through the night and – I'm like, well, I'm going to go over here and over here uh, because, like, I think on the level, like, where you're talking about, like, where you get ADD with spots, like, people that I've interacted with, and I'm sure for you, too, they, like, they're like, oh, I want you to come down and hunt, and I'll show you some spots or, like, whatever, and it's like, I don't, I, like, really want to figure it out, like, and maybe that... I, well, a hundred percent, like that's to my detriment, but I feel like I learn better. I guess it's double edge, like, because I feel like I would learn more seeing someone who's successful 
and why they hunt where they hunt. But I also like going in somewhere and like having that like bit of self validation to be like, I was right, you know. Mm, I you think kind of want to earn it. Yeah, I mean, I think somebody who um, is successful showing you what to do, you're obviously going to learn some things. But when you go through the hours and days of making your own mistakes, you're going to understand a lot better. Yeah, it really gives you the why. And there's so many little things that you pick up on that you would never – if somebody told you to go here and they're like, okay, well, the thermals are dropping to here and there's a scrape and there's dough bedding above. Like there's so many little things. Like why did he turn the corner there? Why did he? Why did he do that in this specific spot? And after you see that happen over and over and over again, it just—I don't know. For me, it just—I uh, just have a better understanding of the situation. Well, in this couple of days has been great, just from like the interaction standpoint. I mean, I—I I think I probably had a hundred beers with Jake at the Total Archer Challenge. But aside from that, like this is the first real time getting to like talk with him, and then you know, interacting with you, Alex, like a ton, but like, I didn't realize like, like how your words, ADD you are about hunting or whatever, because like when they say like making mistakes, I mean, these guys are on big deer. I mean, big, big deer. And they've got them on video, like from the tree, they're just 25 yards off. And like, Mm -hmm. to me, like if that were to be me coming down here and I were to do that, that would be like success. Cause you know, I mean, we're talking to the audience that like maybe has never killed the deer. Maybe they've never seen a, a Pope and young deer, you know, so they've never seen a Booner. They've never, you know, maybe never killed a deer with a bow. So like success is being like in the game and you guys are like 100% in the game. It's just, yeah. And I mean, anytime I have an interaction with a deer, uh, like we, we've had a a couple this week, right. That's a success in my mind. Right. I mean, that's, that's huge, but everybody's success is going to be measured differently depending on where you are in your, uh, hunting career for lack of a better term. And, you know, you set your own goals and you want to get to a certain spot. This is our, um, this is our, so the first year we came down here was last year. We came down for the opener. Our buddy Andrew shot a nice deer, um, opening week. So obviously that was a huge accomplishment. I mean, that was really cool. And, um, and then we came back uh, a week earlier than we're here now. So, uh, the week leading up to Halloween and, um, and that week, I sh- I actually, I did shoot a nice buck, but we didn't recover it. So, that was a bummer. I screwed up the shot. But um, so, but this being the third year, right, like when I talk about struggling a little bit, like, you know, I, we've had some time down here. I mean, this isn't, we haven't just been dropped in. I stare at the map every night looking at this stuff. Like I play this through in my head and um, so, it hasn't exactly played out as planned, which it rarely does. But, um, so that's all I meant by a struggle a little bit, but it's a lot of fun. And again, we're learning 20 yards off, 20 yards closer. We just got to get a little bit closer. So maybe it'll take another year. I mean, I'm going to shoot something tomorrow, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's what I said this morning is I, 
I said, I should just ride my jet sled down this hill because I'm going to kill something today. Yeah. And like I told like one of the, the Patreons, Kyle, like on Halloween when I saw him, I said, I'm going to shoot the first seven or eight point that I see thinking in my mind that Wisconsin has big deer and even a small seven point or whatever here in Michigan would, or, you know, would be a decent Michigan deer. And like, so what happened to me today is I saw deer like during that 10 to two window that they talk about in the rut. And that was it. Um, and like, uh, do you guys have like an inner dialogue where like, do you talk to God? Like when you're in the stand, like the powers that be, you know, I think I kind of stopped doing that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he really cares, but <laughs> <laughs> like asking for help. It's not help. It's just like send one my way, God. So like, I, well, not like that, like setting up like a prayer, but like, I remember like when I was a kid and especially like when it was getting like down to like the term, like closing time, mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to count to a hundred. And like one time, like a deer showed up, like right at a hundred, and I killed it. It was just dope. <laughs> That's awesome. But I was like, I was like, holy shit! Like this sort of <laughs> stuff works, you know. And uh, that was rifle hunting. I was probably like fifteen years old, and I was I was like flabbergasted, right? Because yeah. it was walked right in. So today, I had seen a couple of deer, and then I had uh, some a doe and two fawns go by, and I was pretty sure that she was like in heat, but I thought, or like getting close. I mean, she had her tail up and, mm-hmm. you know, she was, she was acting a certain way, but I thought it was odd that she had the, the fawns with her, you know, usually they're, they're kicked out. And I thought, man, if there was just any buck dog in her, I would, I would shoot it. And it was like, I didn't even finish that thought. And I heard a crack behind me. And then I heard a grunt and I like glanced behind me. I saw antlers picked up my bow and this buck ran by at like 11 yards and it was like a seven point, but it was like the smallest seven point that I've ever seen. Like John found this little tiny shed in um, Montana when he was antelope hunting. And we were joking about it because like, if you hold up like your hand and you put your thumb there, like (laughs) that's about the size of like one side of it. And you're like, that's ridiculous that that's, yeah, you know that that would be like a racked buck, and I was like, I, but again, I didn't even get like to the end of that thought before that happened, and I was like, well, am I supposed to shoot this deer? You know, and I was like, I just couldn't do it, so I kind of chuckled, and it ran out. They ran out into the into the bedding in front of me, and then like ten minutes later, here comes the doe and one of the fawns, and then right on her tail comes this buck. So I grab my bow and I I'm at full draw. And I'm like, should I, should I stop it? And then I looked at its antlers and I just couldn't do it. I was like, I can't. And then the whole time, like the whole rest of the day, I'm thinking, and even now, like, I'm not that good of a hunter. Like, should I, (laughs) what am I doing? Like not shooting these deer, but it's like, I don't know. So like that, you know, it's, it's, it's that quintessential, if you wouldn't shoot it on the last day, you know, if you'd shoot it on the last day, like. And in Alex's, I think you both have that because you've both had, you know, rack bucks 
I mean, we were looking at one. That's a borderline buck that that you've got on video from tonight. I think, or yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I don't drive eight hours to shoot something that I can shoot in Michigan, and that's just a personal goal for me, right? It's a, it's a, it's exciting and it's a challenge, and it's just that's what gets my my heart pumping, right? Like, and we were talking earlier, like. When a deer comes in that I want to shoot, I just immediately, I'm just like, I'm shooting that. And I know it immediately. And if I don't have that reaction, I just, you know, that's that's just my personal way of doing it. Um, but I just, I have some goals too, because I just, I'm trying to get to the next level. I mean, I, um, I've been doing this for a long time now and I just, I'm trying to step up my game a little bit because if, you get you get one tag here, right? So at a certain point, you kind of you have to push yourself if if that's your thing. But there's a lot of questions there. Like, a would you consider yourself a good hunter? B, like you said, you don't drive eight hours to shoot something like that, but you'd rather drive eight hours and go home with nothing. Um, and then are you planning on coming back? Like, cause you spent the money on the tag, like you spent the gas, the hotel, the, you know, all this terrible food that we're eating. Apparently Alex wants to eat fucking <laughs> it's like just protein shakes and kale. <laughs> like these hills, man, I'm out of shape. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm exhausted. So one question at a time, what was the first one? Are you a good hunter? Oh, I mean, I, I think I'm a decent hunter. I mean, I've, I've shot, several bucks in uh you know i've basically only hunted public land i've worked my tail off trying to be a decent hunter um so yeah i mean i'd I'd say i'm okay yeah i mean because that's the thing is like but that's kind of for me it's like irrelevant right like i there isn't like a ranking system for bow hunting it's it's a personal thing there's a record book yeah, but I mean, I've shot Pope and yeah, Young Deer. deductions and all this, you know, <laughs> BS. Yeah. But that's are for fish, okay? Like, <laughs> I mean, I've shot some deer that could be in those books. I've never submitted them, you know? I mean, like, I don't, I just, that's, I don't have any well, interest in but that. My, but my question is simply, simply based on, like, you, I guess your goals are like that, like, gut feeling. So that's, that's basically it. Right. So you're saying if it, if I get excited, I'm going to shoot it. If not, yeah. And you're perfectly fine with all of the investment. Yeah. I mean, if if I, if I leave this week without shooting something, I'm not going home empty handed. I have learned a ton and I do every time, especially new places. I mean, I mean, gosh, just even learning, uh, what is the food situation in this town? You know, (laughs) like, Next time I come back, I'm going to have a bunch of food, right? It's just little things like that. And I, that's what I love about the process. That's my favorite thing is like you just – every time you go out or go to a new state or even go out – every morning I go out in the woods, I'm like, whoops, could have done that better. And I just – I think that's fun. You don't get to do that a lot. I mean, you get stuck in doing your job. You're doing the same thing every day. And I don't know. It's just exciting. And for you, Jake, like – I would just want to add to that, like maybe a good way to like explain that is, you know, 
if, if you're not trying to do something that you've never done before, you know, as many facets as possible, you know, you're not going to be growing. So I think that might be the goal. Yeah. That's you a good know, way to put it. You're trying to learn as much as you can. and You're not learning much. You just pick a spot on a map, walk in on the first day and shoot the first buck that comes in, you know, knowing that there's greater potential out there. So like, and the other thing is, is like every time we go in the woods, we're basically testing a theory, which is fun for, but I, that might sound weird, but it's like, it's kind of fun for us. It's not it's fun like, when it doesn't work out, but. Well, <laughs> if you, if you look at, if you have that perspective, it is still somewhat rewarding or worth your time when it doesn't work out. Cause you're like, that didn't work. It's Cross like, it off the list. Kind of like the game Battleship, you know. Yes. Yeah. is still getting you closer to the end goal. So. I mean, I, most of the time, I mean, the vast majority of the time we go in the woods, it's a miss, right? So, it's just, it it makes the process a little bit more, uh, it, it's exciting, honestly. Yeah. It, like I say, it just for me, that that is to... to say like whether you're a good hunter or not like you said well you're trying to get to that next level i was just trying to figure out like what is that that well, next level because there isn't a ranking system yeah or, or whatever i i mean i think that i think hunting is a very very personal thing and i think that uh you whatever your levels are whatever the next level is is something that's determined by you uh for example like um, you know, we've seen a couple good bucks here, but um, and by good bucks, I mean you said, you know, you it, it, <laughs> we went uh for for lunch a little bit too long, and uh, you I, walked in and there's a one, about that already sixty on the <laughs> scrape, a giant. <laughs> just a, so when you say you've seen a couple good bucks, I just want to put good in perspective. So like that's a really good example of the next level, right? I, I want to know why the hell that deer was there. He was, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. He's in the bottom on a scrape, a random little scrape in the bottom. H how can I, like, I need to figure out when I need, like, I should have known that, right? Or I want to know that. So that's when I, when I say next level, I just, I want to know what these deer are doing. He was there because you weren't. Exactly. That's what I told him. <laughs> And, and you're probably right. And if he would have had his backpack full of kale and protein shakes and uh, all of this nutrition stuff, and he'd have been on top of his game, he'd have yeah. been like, I'll be in. Yeah, I wouldn't have smelled oh, yeah, with booze, all that stuff. booze and cigarettes in the hunting bar. It's like, oh, the hunter's <laughs> yeah. back. With all that, they would have thought just another deer, <laughs> another vegan was down there. <laughs> you, you're totally right, though. Like, I bet that deer's watching me every time I go down there. And. I just, it's fascinating. Like he's, he's totally just outsmarting me. Right. Like, and I think, I just, I think that's really cool. I mean, I, and I, I, I love playing that game and I'm not good at that game. Right. I'm not like Dan Infault who's playing these games with these monster bucks and, and getting it done. That's, I'm not doing that. Well, I think that that's a, as much respect as I have with, for Dan and, I I would I would disagree with you on your analogy just because I don't think I don't think Dan plays games with bucks. 
I think Dan hunts only evenings and he says that deer's going to be there and he's going to come here. And I think guys like Dan are early season and late season and like forget about the rut because the deer aren't predictable. So like when you have good like rut hunters, that is that to me is a whole nother different, like that's how you figure out that deer at three o'clock that's hitting the scrape, you know? Yeah. And I mean that, I don't know if that's even possible, right? Yeah. I mean that, that same deer, he could be hitting that scrape like, you know, once every five days or at three o'clock and, you know, tomorrow he's two counties away. Who knows? I mean, but, but that's what's interesting to me coming down here is that like, I found these big scrapes in the bottoms. And like from your guys' experience, just taking away from you, I was that's why. I, so I came here, slept for two hours, went out and ran, found a Michigan truck in Wisconsin, like looking at the map. And then, nope, he's in the same spot. I walked around, saw a coyote, uh, kicked a small deer off of a bedded on a point. Uh, went around, found a little bit of sign here, here, and then I found bedding where I thought there was going to be does. And then yesterday I walked five miles, and wow. <laughs> before I came and hunted <laughs> 500 yards from yeah. the truck with you guys, and then went back to where I found, like, some of the scrapes and just try to, like, you know, maximize, like – my effort so where did i think it was going to be and i was in the 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 fat chick spot today but i I mean what you just said about maximizing your effort was what we've definitely learned on this trip is you know we we started out thinking mornings and evenings and after a day it's you know i guess we're gonna have to be out here all day because we just don't know you know when when we're getting a lot of different data in the evenings, in the mornings, midday. So, well, I only saw deer from ten to two today. And now, granted, I did have a guy walk in past me at two thirty, um, so that could have had something to do with it. And I was texting you guys like, should I move or should I not move? But like I was telling Alex before, I saw three does go into this bedding area, and then there was a buck cruising through there. And then later on, this guy went by there into the wind. And so I'm like, am I going to go try and hunt another spot where I don't know if there's guys? I don't know if there's deer. At least I know that there was a buck that I, there was a, I had seen another buck today that was bigger than the one I didn't shoot, um, you know, that are in there. So I know that there's deer in there. And I walked this entire bedding area yesterday, like trying to figure out how they were using it and if. You know, it was only if it was bucks, if it was does, like if it was all underwater, like if it was worth my time. And then when I popped out, I found good buck sign and a scrape line, but it was in a bottom. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and you were taught, Alex was talking about like the cardinal sin of uh, hill country or whatever, setting up in the bottoms where the wind is crazy, but it's like, if you're seeing the deer down there, yeah, you I mean, do. You got to take a risk, you know? And and I think, you know, what I was thinking was I can only 
assume where the deer are coming from. I don't have any history with this, so I'd say that the deer are in that bedding and the bucks are going to be crossing here. And if you blow a deer out, if something happens, like it doesn't really matter because if in that bedding where there's, you know, your wind isn't blowing or whatever, there's a hot doe like there was today. The freaking deer ran in there, ran around in there, and then ran right back out past me. So Mm -hmm. all it would have taken is a big buck to be in there at that time. And it would have just dragged them right by me, no matter what the wind is. Cause they're not necessarily worried about me at that point. Yeah. And what's interesting about that scenario is like, you were, I don't know, like a half hour away from us. Right. Mm-hmm. And you had bedding in the bottom and, uh, are, is the food up top? Um, like the crops in the area or is it on the bottom? No, the crops are up top. Yeah. Yeah, so you are in a scenario where you have bedding in the bottom and food up top. We're in a scenario where we have bedding up top and food up top, but all of our activity is in the bottom. So it's just, it's really interesting to see these deer use the bottom because they're using it as like a communication system. It's like a communication highway down there. At the um, points down from these, these bedding areas, there's a scrape on every single one. So right now these bucks are just cruising that bottom and they're checking these scrapes and they're like, it's a, it's a hierarchy thing, right? They know the bedding's up there. If, um, you know, uh, big, big, big boy Frank's up there with his, his does, he's not going to go up there. You know, maybe he will, but he's going to know. And it's, that's what they're doing. And it's interesting to watch them do that because food's up top and bedding's up top. Why are they even coming to the bottom? But they do, they've done it every time. Every morning we got the, Bucks in the does that come down to the bottom and they, they dip down and they pop right back up. It's re- it's really cool to watch them do it. And, and then in the evening, the bucks come down to the bottom and they check with the thermals and they run around and check all their scrapes. And as soon as they find a scrape that they like, you know, they like the, the does up there or whatever it may be, they pop right up there and start running around. So it's just, it's cool to watch them do that. And it's also cool because your scenario is completely different. You know, well, I mean, so even yesterday, like when I hunted with, with you guys, like I, every time, like I found the does, you know, Mm -hmm. and like this time of year, it's like, you're, you're just looking for the does. And once I, where I was, have been hunting, it was like, I turned this corner on this like Creek system and it looked like, I, I mean, now granted we're in hill country so like the guys that are uber successful around here probably have a much different like viewpoint or vantage point but like i turned the corner and that bottom looked like the milk river system and it's like that's where i want to be like i mean you if you're like a serious deer hunter or, or whatever like it doesn't matter if you're driving a long distance and you are driving down the highway and you look down and you just see this like marshy bottom with sparse stuff and then like, you know, crop fields up top or like hills or whatever. You're like, man, there's deer down there and I know it. <laughs> and that's, that's like, I turned this corner and I was like, oh my gosh, like, and I need, and then, so the, the first day, I think it was that first night I turned that corner and found that set down there, got set up, wasn't an ideal setup, like even in the 
a little bit. But as soon as I got set up, 1.30, right where I walked in, a shooter buck come chasing a doe right down that hill right into the bottom. So it was like same scenario. I was, you know, 50 yards off, but he could have easily ran her or another buck or whatever, and they could have come right by me. Mm-hmm. And it was just find the does or where you think it, it, it looks right, you know? Yeah. Like, go ahead. It's it just like, to me, it, it, it's just like, I, I, having never been down here or never seen a deer, you know, I started looking at that piece. Like when I got here at five in the morning, like, where are you guys going? I'm like, Oh, Oh, there's a big piece over here. I'm going to go over there. I'm like, hmm? okay. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, uh, it's interesting because they, they check does, they're checking does in a completely different way when you have elevation changes. You know, they don't have to go, you know, push, go and find yeah, them and push chase through them around. the bedding. Yeah. Same, same goes for, uh, when they're coming into bed, right? In Michigan, those bucks are going to usually J hook their bed, right? In the hills, the J hook is a vertical J hook, right? They're getting below their bed and then going up. So it's just, it's just, it's really cool to watch them do that. I mean, they're just in, incredibly efficient animals, especially when they get into the rut and they're, it's competitive. So they want to be as efficient as possible. It's pretty cool. And so, you know, we're talking over here about what we've seen. How, how has your week been, Jake? Well, it's it's been a little frustrating, but I can't say it's been, you know, like we said earlier, un, unsuccessful. I mean, the first first morning i was sitting kind of up upper up higher you know on that kind of like one third elevation line so you can't quite see the top but you can see all the way to the bottom you know but right on the edge where it starts really dropping off and definitely had a shooter buck come by late morning um hitting scrapes and uh he was down in the bottom and he's probably 150 yards from me. I, if, you know, I ranged where he was correctly. And, uh, yeah, so that, that kind of gave us an idea of what the deer were doing. It kind of felt, I mean, that was, we just got into town. That was my first sit, you know, it, walking out there, at least hunting mostly our whole lives in Michigan, it just kind of felt like that late morning type hunt like yeah i'm probably not going to see a whole lot real early today because it's clear skies it's cool crisp calm it's like man these these deer have probably been out trouncing all over the place and all these fields all night long and they're going to be a little they're going to be sleeping in today so and it, that was kind of reaffirming to kind of see that happen because that was actually the only deer i saw that that morning but but that's the caliber of deer that you want to see. So that was good. And then, uh, you know, after that, we, today I actually tried to, to sit, uh, not up towards the top again, but I went, uh, kind of mid, mid level, um, and saw a spike and nothing, nothing else, but, uh, all the other sits were kind of, we kind of focused on the bottoms this, this week. So we, uh, 
I, I can't say it's been very entertaining all the time. I mean, it's been a lot of long hours of not seeing anything. And then, like, tonight, it's our last evening here, was I'm sitting there for probably four hours. I mean, went in pretty early today, tonight to make sure we were kind of did that mid-morning shift, you know, grabbed a quick snack, went right back out, moved spots. I went back to the bottom tonight and uh, didn't see anything until about, you know, t- typical one hour, 45 minutes before sunset. Spike cruised the opposite hillside or the one hillside behind me. And I was kind of looking up this draw on the other side and never been there before. So it kind of looks good on the map. And then when I get in there, it's a very steep banks on the creek. And there's probably five different spots where deer can cross across a 150 yard stretch. And it was really kind of a matter of picking really the, the main deer crossings were that, that were there. The draw was kind of weird. It was like almost like a delta. So it was like kind of flat and evenly sloped up to where it would finally uh, get uh, steep. And I, you know, couldn't go up the draw because at a certain point it's, it's not, it's not, you know, private property. You can't go, go past. Um, so you kind of had to pick, do I sit on the down, I guess the main, the draw that I was in, uh, the bottom was south. So the top would have been to the north. So do you sit the east side of that delta or the, the west side? And the deer happened to come down the, the west side that this evening. And I was probably 100 yards from that point. Uh, but where I was set up was better for the wind. So, you know, if I had been there, would they have showed up? Who knows? And they and ended up kind of meandering around. And, and I almost got an opportunity tonight at a, a decent eight point. You know, he would have been a great buck like we talked about in Michigan. He's kind of a borderline um, here. So, but never got... I never got the shot opportunity to even think about it. I got close. The doe kind of got a little spooky when she came in first. And then they kind of went off and played around on an opposite hillside and then came back at last light. And that, that's the closest I've gotten to, you know, a shooting opportunity on, on anything else but a doe or a spike this week. But I've seen some good deer. See, that scenario right there is why. I love hunting the hills because mm-hmm. you can play a game there, right? Because he's got an east and west spine going down with a bowl. But in theory, you could sit on that west side and that because that's going to get those downward thermals first. So that would mm-hmm. be something that like in my head, I'm like, I got to see if that works. You know, mm-hmm. can I have deer come down the other side and these thermals take care of me? Because they, sh- in th- we had no wind today, right? So in theory... You should be able to sit on that side, even though you're upwind from the deer. It- well, and that's what I was saying earlier is like, like when Alex and I were talking about like where I was set up, like I was set up in this bottom with just enough wind coming out of this bedding area in the morning when the thermals flipped, 
the wind stopped. So like when I dropped milkweed, it like went straight up and then fell straight back down. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, and just like watching it was just This like, morning was like a really interesting morning for that. It was really cool. I had a piece of milkweed go straight away from me about 30 yards and then it came right back by my head. <laughs> wow. Remember that spot. Yeah, that was uh that was interesting. Yeah, I had milk I mine was just going straight I was in the bottom it was just going straight up over my head. It was just it was cool. I mean, you can you can see, I mean, obviously like it's hard to move a set. Like I mean, it really it's cumbersome when you're tired and stuff like you got to run down and then run up the hill. Because, I mean, in theory, you should be sitting there. As soon as you see that milkweed start to rise, you run to the top of the hill, set up again. And as soon as you see it drop or right before you slide down the hill, that would be the way to do it. Well, that might make some semblance of sense because this spot where I was sitting in this bottom where I could see my vehicle and I could have killed this buck or these does this today. Maybe the both times I was in there, I had somebody come by going up to the other side to get their sticks. And maybe that's what they do. They just set a set of sticks up high and a set of sticks up down low. And then they, then they do that because I'm like, like the one guy didn't even have a bow. He had a stand on his back and no bow. And he's like, I got to go get my sticks. And he I'm, probably set it and left, <laughs> got lunch. I mean, I was thinking, I was sitting down there. I'm like, man. If I just set up that tree and this tree, I could just all day. Well, but in reality, so mm. let's, let's, for the listener here, like in that scenario or for you for next year, you know, yeah, you've been bouncing around, but like what's stopping you from like watching, say, two days worth of deer, like use these elevations or whatever and at least get in the area and just have yeah. another set of sticks and and set it up that probably would be helpful i was thinking you know we we typically it's hard not to i'm not saying we're going to be aggressive and like just dive to this the heart of a property but it's kind of hard to just go and on a short trip like this sacrifice a sit completely just to get somewhere where you can see a lot like you kind of want to get in the game as quickly as possible if you can and if you could see a lot that's great well but. yeah i mean so i burned in in the first two days basically to try and figure out like what was going on because mm -hmm. you can you know having been down here before like you at least have an idea so like i had zero idea at all and so there's the the other side of that is like sitting for the sake of sitting is burning a sit too mm -hmm. and that's kind of like the way that i felt was like i walked around until i i found something that looked good or it was getting dark mm -hmm. and like like i have to get in a tree so i'm gonna try this and, like, I walked around that entire bedding area until I found something that looked good, got up a tree, and I was like, this looks good. Had the guy come in. You guys said, we're going to lunch. So, I came back <laughs> here, and I said, well, 
I know that there's that spot. And then I found another spot that had like a much bigger scrape and like it had like exactly what you were talking about when you're talking about that. Like it was a, like a, a, like a CRP field that was like on this like lazy slope and it had this real super deep like cut coming through and then you could see where the runoff came and that cut in between the, the this draw it was very lazy that went up and then all of a sudden it got like super steep and super steep on both sides and but the problem with that one was there was an actual like hiking trail path that went up to that CRP field and then there was nowhere else to go and if you just followed the deer path it ended up in this giant like legit like hood size scrape and then there were scrapes all around it and there's deer trails everywhere but it was like now granted i sat in the other spot and had two guys walk by me in two sits yeah the number of guys out here this year or this week compared to last year when you were here i think a week earlier yeah it's 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 been a lot more you know i think you know everybody kind of hits that first week in november but, but in that spot like it was super easy. So there was no parking area where I was parked today. I just pulled off the side of the road and dropped off mm-hmm. into this like bottom, like overlook spot because none of those guys were sitting there and maybe the big bucks were up wherever their sticks were. But I mean, I had bucks and deer, you know, within 20 yards, you know? So for me, that was a success kind of like back to like what we were talking about. Like I walked in there, it wasn't the buck that I wanted to kill, but it it played out in some semblance. I mean, the deer didn't come and hit the scrape that I was set up over, but they were running past me. So, I mean, yeah, just to see them use an area, mm-hmm. how you think they're going to use it is, is really cool. And it, and it seems like they're in, in these like, steep elevation areas there's always a specific up and down like roads Mm. and at the top and the bottom or at at some point on that road there's going to be that like communication hub which is those scrapes and um so uh, it's just it's interesting to see that because we don't really get to if you take that right and apply it to michigan you can start to uh piece together the puzzle, the the highway, it's working the same way on certain winds in Michigan, just like it's working with thermals here in hill country. And so it's just it's just more obvious to see it in hill country, at least in my opinion. Well, I think like the guys that hunt this regularly, maybe that's why for them when they go into another area without hills they're like well this is what's going to be happening and the wind's a little bit easier to deal with than like all these swirls and like this somewhat of like a buffeting of wind like that comes in hits this side swirls down and then zips up because it's like every single one of those draws that i was set up in and especially last night in that spot where you guys were talking about like the wind was predominantly you know, let's say out of the West, but then that didn't really matter because the thermals and then that, that cut in the Creek were 
taking the wind in a completely different direction. So it was like, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's funny in the hills. It like to some extent. I mean, there's a million different scenarios in every single spot. You know, based on predominant wind, thermals, and whatnot. But to some extent, you can kind of easily go into a spot and just kind of monitor what's happening in the hills and, and kind of understand why that's happening. It, I'm not saying it's always predictable, but to some extent it, it, it's mechanical. It, you know, it's, a, it, it's happening for a reason. It's not always so easy to, to deal with that. Same thing. If you're in like a big wood spot with swamp intermixed and it's flat. So, you know, that's that's interesting, but I kind of forgot where I was going with this. I was trying to respond to... Uh, well, I was just talking about how the wind is like, you know, like I said, it was buffeting off of here and there, and like it was not doing, like, the, the wind on the... Oh, the yeah, wind, yeah. The wind on the weather channel was like, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, it's pointless. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that's for sure. I, what I was going to say is... To some extent, it is predictable, but at the same time, the deer are using it very predictably as well. I mean, they, they're masters at, at using it to their advantage. So, you can kind of use the, your knowledge of the wind, and if you've been in some spots before, you can kind of wind map it a little bit. But it's still tricky to get in on those deer. I mean, you're gonna you're dealing with like a best case scenario, like a fifty percent chance in a perfect setup i would say you know it could the deer you can't get right on the deer or you know up upwind of the deer and it, it could go either way so well and one thing that and i don't know if you guys have uh experienced this or or what but like i said that first day where i had those that buck dog and that doe mm-hmm. literally right where i had walked in and then today i mean i'd I was standing for probably five minutes in the dark going, okay, the wind is kind of like this. I was up in that tree yesterday and I didn't have a real good shot to that scrape. That scrape is like the one I think they're going to be hitting. There's runways coming through here. And then I like did a couple circles (laughs) and then I was like, what about this one? What about that one? Finally get up a tree and those deer walked literally right where I was standing for five minutes and just walked on by. They didn't even pay one bit of attention. I was so concerned. Maybe they about, knew you weren't there. <laughs> but I was so concerned about like, you know, being able to shoot to where I walked in and the deer didn't even blink. Like, I feel like every deer in Michigan is like, like, there was a guy here last Wednesday, like, I'm fucking oh, out. yeah. You know, th- these deer were like, yeah, I'm good. Like, no, I'm not concerned. And I think they, I think that it's, it's not that these deer are less touchy or, or, um, they're, they're obviously a little bit less pressured, but I think that there's with all the, with the thermals and the wind, they have these spots, right? They know that if they, they can see far, so they can see certain areas. And they know that if they're looking at that area, they can get to it because they don't see any danger. And when they get to that area, they know that the wind is going to show them 
this area and then they mm-hmm. they just move along like that right like that buck tonight that's why those interactions are so important and why that's a success we were talking about that is that a success yes i saw exactly what what he was doing he dropped right where he was looking he turned the corner around the the, the bottom of the point into the wind the wind was blowing right to the point so he could check that and then he got to the the center of the draw and he sat there and he just i've seen this multiple times in hill country they will sit there and they will put their nose up and they will smell like crazy just staring up at the top of the draw and they just check the whole thing and eventually that deer whatever he smelled or maybe he just said okay i'm good to go and he took off and didn't think i mean he took off like uh didn't have a care in the world right he's like oh i'm good and i think that those spots they talk about like thermal hubs right that's that's what that is they're like they go there if it checks out i'm good because i got everything i got i know that i'm okay and so figuring out where you need to be in that scenario is the whole key and i think the that's funny thing is these like scrapes and these spots where you know a deer is going to want to come they're all right in those spots so how do you get down there and not get busted well, but that's like what I was, you know, and so like a lot of times to, you don't to both of those points is like that they're not concerned about ground scent. They don't care about like, like, I think maybe what you were getting at is that I wasn't standing yeah. there when they were there. Yeah. So, so they're like, right. I actually had a spike this morning. Definitely got my ground scent. Like he stopped, snipped the ground, looked around and, you know, he must have got the wind, knew I wasn't. I happened to be downhill from him, and he was just out of range. He knew nothing was really a danger to him, and he just went about his business. So, I mean, they walk around the woods, right, constantly smelling danger and avoiding, right, and avoiding accordingly. So that's, I mean, they're just good at it. They know what they're doing, and the the thermals give them an extra layer of protection i think because in flatland you can if you have just an off wind right like they can't check a whole line they can't check a whole area like they can with thermals he checked that whole area with just sitting there for a couple minutes so to shift gears like just a little bit because I know Alex is kind of like a prima donna, and he's got to get to bed pretty soon here. Well, I'm going to have a big day tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's been like in like the low 20s. Like, I don't know what you guys saw this morning. It was like to, this morning was colder than yesterday, and yesterday it's it was supposed to chilly. be cold. And it was like 17 degrees Like as I was on my way. I was, I've, I've been hunting like 30 minutes from here, and you guys have been – 10 minutes something like that um but so what are you guys using for gear to like stay warm stay dry stay like whatever and that's one of the things i ran into where i ended up walking through that big freaking bedding area yesterday is like i had a spot where i got to in the morning i wanted to go in at gray light and this creek was like a real creek like i've seen like smaller rivers in michigan so I didn't, I couldn't cross it. So I had to drive, go back to my car, drive down the road, figure out where there was a crossing and then, then cross. Um, so I had inappropriate attire for, for what I was trying to do at 
uh, a 20 degree temperature range. Like I'm not getting naked and walking through the creek. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially if you get wet. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like, what is your guys like, like gear, like system for like cold weather hunting? Um, well, I, I freeze constantly. So I've spent a lot of time on this actually. So this is a good topic. Um, and I don't have it completely figured out, but there's a couple key pieces of, of gear that I've added that have made a huge difference. One is I use, um, uh, a down, uh, puffy pants from, uh, King's camo. Uh, and I love them. I mean, they've made a big difference and, um, they're super comfortable. And I just, so I have, I wear just normal light pants when I'm walking in. Um, and then if I'm walking in, I deal with this in Michigan all the time because we're hunting these swamps. So I almost always get wet. So if I'm going to get wet, if I know I'm going to get wet, uh, just with dew or frost, I'll bring another pair of pants and I'll switch. I'll just change. Uh, cause if, if your base layer is wet, you're, you're screwed. Um, so that's been important. Um, and then I just wear those puffy pants over that and then bibs and I'm good. I'm good in anything. I mean, I've been pretty warm. So, so three pairs of pants. Yeah. Three layers on my bottoms. And then, um, and then on top, the key piece of gear has been uh, one of those electric vests, the, the battery-powered vests. Because I used to layer up, right? I'd have like, I don't even know how many layers. And it was bulky. I had to pack it all in. And I'm like, this is this is so bad. And I'd still be cold. Remember when you used to use like the body warmers, like stick them on your back? Oh, yeah. Throw I, clothes? I, went, I did that once, and I think I got a big square burn mark on it. Oh, yeah. It. I was burned all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I but mean, you were warm. We look like you were doing the cupping, like when yeah, you get out of the woods. Exactly. I'd put them on all my main arteries, you know, like <laughs> yeah. strategically placed, right on the jugular, and that worked. But then, like, Focus. it still baffles me that these uh, companies don't make them with a quiet wrapper. I mean, it's the <laughs> loud. It's not even like a a little sound. Yeah, you it really is, have to do that at the truck. I think I don't even use hand warmers anymore, though. I I don't even need them. Um, and it's just. I know this for a fact. It's because I have that puffy layer on my pants and I've got that electric vest. And the electric vest is nice because you make it basically all morning. And then when you start to get cold, like, like it's usually like 9, 30, 10 o'clock for me, I just pop that baby on and I'm, I could sit there all day. So that's been amazing. I think there's, there's must be some physiological reason for that. Like <laughs> if your body thinks that your body's warm and, doesn't constrict the blood flow to your hands yeah i mean i i think i think i think that's exactly how it works yeah Jake. but it also works being, in reverse. i don't know if you're being facetious i also yeah. think it works in reverse you know if you if your hands are warm your body thinks it's warm so. well it's all about keeping your core warm like i like the hand warmers as i progress through this like how am i going to do this because i was so cold all the time i um you know your your arms if you have too many layers, your arms get constricted and that like to the point where, yeah, that's I mean, I was wearing so many layers, like I couldn't like get my arms through and then I definitely couldn't really draw my bow. So then I moved to a vest and I, it was, it was way better. I mean, I would just have like a wool vest on. So it's all about keeping your core warm. Mm -hmm. I'd stick a hand warmer like on my heart or something, you know, like, so, I mean, you got to keep your core warm and that's where those vests are just awesome because you're, I only have 
one mid-layer layer on my arms. That's it. And then that electric vest and then my coat. And so it's just, it's really compact too. Yeah, I, I forgot my heated vest for this trip. Well, I didn't forget it. It just, I left it at my parents' house. I didn't, couldn't go get it. So this trip, I'm just running like a uh, sort of an insulated base layer sweatpant type pant. And then, you know, a heavier windproof layer once I get to my spot over top of those. And I'm pretty good on the leg aspect, staying, staying warm. Um, I really like, you know, out of a saddle, one of the big things for me was my knees would always get cold because usually you're sitting there with your knees bent, you know, if you're sitting in a tree stand or in a saddle and that, that tight area of clothing against your skin, you lose your insulation. So that's where you're going to get cold first. So having the knee pads on when it's cold, I really like it because it adds that a little bit extra insulation there. And then, uh, I really like, they're kind of loud. There's probably, you know, some different options out there, but I really like those frost guard, like boot covers to keep your feet warm because most of the time, the way we hunt, you're always going to get sweaty feet going into your spot. I mean, you're, you're, I'm, I'm wearing one pair of socks and just basically a hiking boot. And my feet are sweating like crazy in those. If I'm wearing something more insulated, they're going to get even sweatier. So I like to go in with just light boots and then throw those on your feet once you're set up. And if it's really cold, just toss a hand warmer like on the top of your, you know, front of your boot. And, you know, my I've never had a cold foot problem again after switching to that. And that was always one of my my biggest issues in the cold. Um, so those do work, but I will say like, I could never deal with those. Like, so, but yeah, it's, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're a little bit of a hassle, but they work, they work well. They work, but I think you can get, if your core is warm, if you, if you dress your core as in your, you know, your main arteries running down your legs and your core, if that's, properly insulated you shouldn't have to have any i wear regular socks and that's it in my boots and i never get cold feet i used to wear uh layers of socks but there's no air around your your feet which is a huge problem so less socks has been better for me and just making sure that i'm i'm warm you know my core is warm i think a lot of guys throw like foot powder and stuff in their boots too like to keep your feet dry the other cool I've thing that, that I, but I've switched to is, well, I've tried. I haven't, I don't usually need them, but uh, you, you can get, it's called uh, graphene. You can get graphene socks and graphene is a, it's a carbon-based material. And so it's, uh, it's like thermodynamically uh, neutral. So in other words, if you're, if your feet are cold, it's going to hold heat. It's going to insulate. If they get hot when you're walking in, it, they're going to breathe that that's just how the material works, and so I thought those were pretty cool, and I I use them sometimes. So, like thermodynamically neutral means like almost like heat osmotic. It just tries to regulate it. It's <laughs> it's osmosis for heat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. Interesting. 
Uh, and they and it, they breathe too, which is important. If you have socks, get like I'm lucky because my feet don't really sweat. But if you get sweaty feet, you got to have some breathable socks. Otherwise, you're going to be screwed. I mean, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would. I had a couple different pairs of socks with me here this week. And obviously, the wool works really well. And I think I had some probably polyester socks. They're thicker, but my feet were freezing after a while. Um, yeah. My feet are always warmer in my uh they're always colder in my rubber my knee highs too because mm-hmm. they just don't breathe whereas here i'm running around in those uh, whatever boots and um i don't know i just i think they breathe a little better they're not quite as insulated and i don't know so with those uh boot covers i was thinking about this like the entire time i've been here because i have a set of those um but they only i mean they're made for like fucking tennis shoes or like <laughs> Chinese people because like the extra large, the biggest ones that they fit, they're supposed to go to like a size 13. It's for a size 13 foot, not for a size 13. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no way. Um, in, so, I, I mean, I have been like trying to reverse engineer this problem because like you said, they're loud and like mm. for a saddle where you're like always on your feet, like you can't even, you, I mean, I guess you'd be that way in a tree stand, but you'd be maybe sitting down or wouldn't be that big of a deal, I guess. But I'm trying to figure out, like, do you think that it would work? Like, how big of a deal do you think it is that that's completely fully captured? Because it almost seems like, even I don't like, know. I, I was thinking, you know, when I brought that up, you know, there's pro- I haven't even done a lot of research to see what other options are even out there. But I do like the concept. I don't use them all the time. I, you know, most weeks of the year, I don't even bring them with me unless it's really cold. But I do like the concept and I do keep t- tagging them along with me when I need them of walking in with lighter boots and having that, that you can throw on after because with climbing gear and going up and down the tree using aiders, uh, I just, you know, I don't want to be dealing with a big clunky boot that's really warm when I'm doing that. Like I want to have some awareness of where my feet are <laughs> when I'm doing those activities. Yeah. Like, but like, even like with your, um, your down pants and I've seen like down boot covers and I, I know they make them for like mountaineering and shit like for, I'd assume it's for when they're at camp or, or whatever, but I just wonder how much that like full capture is important. Yeah. Like, like maybe like, you could just have it over could you the just top have it over something. the top with elastic on the back. So it, cause your fucking ankles don't get cold or I don't think my heel yeah. has ever been cold. It's, it's like only my toes. <laughs> so like, could you just make just like a toe covers? Yeah. Like, uh, like a down, like thing that just went over the top of your boot that just had like an elastic deal that went under the bottom and then the back. I think that would be like, I was thinking about like, I've got like a old, hell, like a $20, puffy from walmart or freaking wherever in a sewing machine like just sew it up and put some elastic on there and like test it out because you could still put yeah i mean a I, hand warmer in there yeah i bet if you just found a way to keep the hand warmer from getting cold uh, 
you could just strap the hand warmer right to the top of your boot. Well, in in, in reality, if, if the you top did, of your boot's not cold, your toes aren't getting cold. And think about that. Like if it was like down, like like your pants are, or like a puffy, where you could pack it up to nothing. You could have it in yeah. your freaking cargo pocket. And if you had a little thing sewn in there, so that you could just drop a hand warmer in there with a piece of Velcro, and then all right, Adam, essentially bungee that out. I'm adding it to the R and D product <laughs> idea list. I'm just saying, like, thank you for that. Like, for <laughs> I, I, as my toes like get hot and cold and hot and cold, and I have those warmers, and I'm thinking of all the problems with those. For the hunter, like that seems like to me that would be the easiest solution. Like, or the down pants. No, I, I well, <laughs> I'll have to try these down pants. I, I, I'm I don't have a pair. so uh, uh, he he mentioned it. I think Kevin has some down pants too. He swears by that. So, and, but that's what I, like I was telling you guys earlier, and I talked about it in the last podcast, like. That's the one thing that's lacking is like like what you're talking about, like the lower half for me. And I think I want just like a regular set of pants, some sort of uh, puffy pant. And then even if it's rain gear, like a uh, just a windproof, like relatively quiet outer layer. Yeah, we forgot to mention that windproofing. I mean, you got to have – the yeah. wind is, will kill you. I mean, so – I mean, it can be 40 degrees and windy and then 20 degrees and not windy, and you're going to be cold around the 40-degree day. So, the windproofing is so important. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for all you youngsters that used to be called wind chill, but now it's feels like uh, temperature. Yeah. Yeah, the feels like in the morning. I didn't notice that. Yeah, because you're not old enough. You've only ever seen feels like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wind chill, I guess, is too complicated. <laughs> yeah. To understand. So, you, know, uh, you got to do math for that. Yeah. So, subtract s- the wind chill. Speaking of, like, w- w- where's Kevin been on these trips? And Yeah, I mean, I wish he was here with us. Um, you know, he's uh, he's great to have on trips like this because he runs around like a, like a bird dog. I mean, he's in really good shape and he's a good hunter. So, um, but he's. Uh, I feel like that's a dig at Jake, but. No, no, not at all. But. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm always in spots getting <laughs> intel for Alex. I mean, he'll like Kev. He's a he loves to move. Like he'll run and he'll just run around. And I mean, he'll cover more ground, probably more ground than than's good for him. But um, you know, uh, so it's not a dig at Jake. But um, he, he's his wife's about. I mean, any day now, probably about to have their. Uh, first baby so so that's cool and he's just you know staying around home obviously and getting prepared for that and uh thank god for him because he's kind of holding down the fort for latitude and um he'll be here next year though yeah we need we need that nutritionist yeah yeah (laughs) he can support me in my my nutrition i mean I brought little Debbie with me. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fudge rounds, the star crunch, yeah. um, all of the essentials. Yeah, so your candy. I saw a reason in the parking yep. lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that is the best. So I have uh, reason and uh, like the Werther's 
toffees. And I feel like those are the best candies for hunting because they did. I don't know if these Germans were like <laughs> hunters. Yeah. But it's like wax paper. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. super quiet to yeah. open. Well, we're talking about cold weather. Like, that's a good people- idea. I don't bring candy in with me, but that's a good idea for like those, you know, slow times where you just need a little mm-hmm. pick me up. I mean, people overlook. Like Jake, he doesn't eat. Uh, he doesn't eat before he goes in the woods in the morning, which I think is just insane. I mean, you wonder why you're cold. Your body is burning calories trying to stay uh, uh, warm. So if you don't fill your body <laughs> with with what your body needs to stay warm, it's not going to be warm. It's it, that it's just impossible. So uh, anyway, that's a I whole feel like I hop better on an empty stomach because I'm hungry. <laughs> so. <laughs> motivated there you go yeah but for the listener who's never seen alex he's like as big around as your pinky like so when he when when alex talks about saddles and how they can be like one size and they can fit little people like i mean like my thigh is like the same girth as alex's whole body i feel like for reference i have a like a 32 waist so if I'm ever talking bullshit, about, I don't believe it. Uh, all right, well, for reference, <laughs> maybe it's hips. Whenever I'm talking about saddles, <laughs> you're wearing a last thirty-two pants, pants. Right now. I can't. I don't know what size. One hundred and eighty pounds. I, I doubt it. Maybe with his pack on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's kind of tall. He does I have guess. a heck of a pack. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to ask you guys too, because like. When you're packing all this stuff in, I switched because of the weather. Um, I was using the um, <coughs> trophy line, uh, plateau pack. Uh, it's a it's a latitude uh, podcast, so I just that's I using, why we. I was using this fanny pack, um, which I I really like, but I added another stick because I was having a problem um, with my aider, mm-hmm. um, just the steps and with layers and boots and and whatnot. So I added another stick and then I had to strap on all my colder weather gear and all that. So I was back to the, the badlands um, super day pack, but I don't know. I, I feel like as soon as you start to have to strap like, extra layers and then i'm thinking like of your scenario where you're strapping pants uh, so i would imagine you'd be strapping your bibs and then you got your down pants and then probably your jacket and then your climbing system and then your platform and then all of your camera gear and like it's like jesus christ like this is too yeah, much. i will say one of the things i wish backpack companies would do is add about 4 inches to those lashing buckle straps <laughs> on on that back of your backpack cuz it's like i think everybody's pack were like you know packing up packing down today it's like you're always like right at the end <laughs> yeah well the packs most of us are using are built for out west stuff and so they're not stack they don't have sticks in a platform that they got to stack on there so yeah um, what pack are you using? I uh, I used to use, um, and I I did it the same exact way, really, 
how I packed, but it was a little bit smaller. I used a, like the Sika. It's like the all day pack, kind of that same shape uh, in size. But this year I switched to the um, the uh, Badlands MR, MR, or MK2, I think. That's the brand new one that they just came out with, yeah. right? And that is designed to pack meat also. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm not there yet, but my goal is to be able to go in, uh, hunt, kill a deer, and go out in, in one in one process. Like, I, there's, I hate going back to the truck. Because, I mean, some of these places, like, I can't even make it back back and forth twice i mean you know it's just it's just miserable so i'm i switched to that but i also need it because i have this stupid camera gear i mean it is the camera gear is such a a hassle um but the pack is is really nice outside of the straps which just aren't long enough but (laughs) um you know i put my my camera arm uh and the uh bracket for the tree where the meat would go and my pack is set up so that it's all sequential right based on how i set the tree um so i mean i I don't i won't go into that but they uh, this pack just work it allows me to do that really nicely so my clothes are in the the main compartment and anyway so it works really well how much meat do you get off an average alex sized deer do you think 60 70 pounds <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. You're going to have to go train with Cameron Haynes, man. <laughs> yeah. So, in that scenario, because I was thinking about that j- just strictly because, like, the last time I went out in Michigan, like, I went to the spot where I run my trail cameras. I, I'm going to kill a buck out there just for, like for this podcast, like, to have figured it out. Like, it's like, I just want to go in there and be right and kill whatever comes by. And it's going to be like the utmost son of a bitch to get it out of there. (laughs) And so I've thought about it like a lot as far as like quartering one up and packing it out. So like when you're planning on doing that, like, do you have game bags um, are, yeah, definitely. how are you? Yeah, I, I don't, I, that's the end goal. I'm not anywhere near there. Um, I, I, it wouldn't even be possible with my current setup. Like there's just not enough room. So I'm not saying that I'm able to do that right now, but I would love to be able to do that. So I've just adopted a little bit larger pack. Well, everything is possible. I mean, well, it is. I just, I haven't figured it out yet. But the other reason I have that pack is because sometimes I pack in a inflatable kayak. Um, and then I also have situations where I either have to pack in waders or uh, pack in my boots and wear in my waders because I ditch my waders and then go on my way. Um, so you just, you need a little bit bigger pack if you're going to be doing that stuff. I mean, the blow up kayak is like a nightmare. I mean, those things are. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But um, this pack gives you a lot of flexibility if you have to haul some of that stuff, waders or anything like that. I mean, it's really cool. It ex- I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, it just there's a 
you have your backpack that's on a frame and then it expands. So you can make this pack huge. I mean, it even has a, a fold out in the bottom. So you can make it probably eight inches longer than it actually is if you need it. So like blow up kayak, I have to expand that because it's so big, but yeah. And when you told me that what pack you were running, when I saw it yesterday or the day before he says, Oh, it's an MK two. And I was like, Oh, I was trying to think about what one that is. And I remember now and they make an MK three, right? So they make a, a larger volume yeah. version of that too. Yeah. And a smaller one. Oh, do they? Yeah. There's, so this is like the midsize one. Um, I'd be interested to try the smaller one. Uh, just cause it's just because the cold weather year is working for me. I mean, I've got that pretty small. So, cause you can, the, the, the cool thing about those frame packs or any of those packs that have that expansion in the back that's separate from the compartment is you can layer your clothes in there. Like your clothes will, f- if you fold them in half, your bibs and your coat, they'll layer down to nothing in there. Cause you can strap them down, right. And compress all that. A big thing that we always talk about, I mean, we're working on a backpack. And a big thing we always talk about is compression, right? Like if you've seen um, a compression or a stuff sack for like a sleeping bag, you can make a big, big ass sleeping bag into a ball that's like, you know, six inches. And so that concept with hunting clothes is interesting. And you can accomplish that with these packs. But anyway. What's well, a very interesting um it's like you've done this before, Alex. It's a nice transition. Um, so with a, uh, you say you're working on a backpack, like this stuff. Jake being the R&D quality control, you're, you're on that side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, will, he'll sell it. What what are you coming up with? What, what, oh, what can we expect for we're from still, latitudes here? Uh, we're still future? way too early in the uh Alex kind of alluded to some things there, maybe some concepts we're looking at, but we're still way too early in the process to give any of that away. So, yeah, see, so, so I'm the dreamer in the group, so I'm going to tell him what I want, and then he's going to tell me no about a hundred times, and then we'll finally spit out some compromise. So, and then Kevin will tell you that it's too expensive, and then, and then you have to, and then Kevin will tell us <laughs> margins aren't sustainable. And, uh, and then, you know, half of the cool things will be killed, but that'll be okay. So, um, I guess from the things that you can tell us, the last time that we had you guys on here, I mean, again, Alex and I talk all the time and there's a tons of different things, but like, so you, you now have the method two, you have the, uh, classic two, and you've got some accessories and knee pads, all that stuff. Like for people who don't know what the differences in the saddles are from the first version to the second version, can you talk to us about that? And then the, um, I guess of the accessory type stuff, like what's the things that like separately you and, uh, well, Jake and Alex, like what are the things that you're most excited about that you, that you do have at this point? Um, so for saddles, we have the, the classic, which is the single panel saddle and the method, which is the two panel. Um, for the classic, really the main difference is we, uh, made the metal free, we made it metal free, right? With the metal free belt. Um, so that's the main difference there. I think dimensionally we made it a little bit longer, bridge loop to bridge loop, just to fit some, some bigger guys. Um, but 
so that's it really for the classic pretty simple and then um for the method uh we the biggest change by far is is how the bottom panel connects to the top panel right and and so we integrated some magnets which was kind of a no-brainer from the beginning it's just that took a while to figure out i mean uh you know special coating on the magnets and where the magnets needed to be so that it's easy to put them you know, it just, there was a lot of it's surprisingly there. difficult to sew in strong yeah. magnets with a sewing machine because they stick to the sewing machine and I can, everywhere. I can tell you how strong the magnets are. And I didn't know this apparently was an issue at the Woods and Waters and the Total Archery Challenge. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it'll snatch the pocket knife right out of your, uh, yeah, right out of your, yeah, if, if you're, you know, clips a little bit worn out you know check your saddle <laughs> yeah yeah they're Take very off. yeah and, and i think each one has about 20 pounds of pull now that's reduced a little bit because they're you know covered in material but they're they're strong magnets yeah that's the biggest thing like for me is it it sounds like alex for you you're kind of like along the same lines is like i would just want to be like as streamlined as possible Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of fiddling around with the original version of the the method. Um, not that it wasn't comfortable, and it came a long way from like the prototype that we saw at the beginning. The amount of like fiddling around that was there, but the lack of like easy storage with the two panels oriented correctly. Um, was like one of the things where I'm like, nope, I don't want to deal with it. And then like at the Total Archery Challenge going up there and messing with it with the magnets was like, this is, you You might have converted me. I'm still running the classic, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, right. I'm right there where it's like, ah, it might be worth trying out. Like yeah, and John's loving his. Yeah. So. Managing that, you know not really extra material, but extra functionality that a two panel saddle gives you is definitely, you know, that's a a challenge with the two panel. So that, you know, magnetic quick connect system really aids in that for sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I guess there's a a small amount of, uh, there's, there's a slight increase in, uh, adjustment that's required with the, any two panel, but, um, you know, two panel saddles, especially the method, they're designed to be flexible. They're designed to give you whatever you want. Half the time, I don't even use this, that bottom paddle. I sit with them together. And, um, so that's the whole point of that. Because in reality, anytime you're sitting out in anything for an extended period of time, you're going to have, you're going to have to make an adjustment based on where you're feeling fatigued. And so that's the main point of that saddle is, is to just offer you unlimited flexibility. So it's not for everybody, but um, that's uh, how we feel about it anyway. Well, I think, I think from my perspective as like the consumer or like from the end user standpoint, is it is 
kind of more for everybody than everything else that's available um, uh, to a certain degree because it is so flexible. And it has eliminated a lot of the problems that, like I said, like, I, I mean, I give you an example. I was over, it was like, <laughs> it was like seven degrees and we're over standing outside, like getting bundled up to go hunt um, over uh, kind of by you guys over on that side of the state. And I'm fucking around with my brother's saddle that's like twisted up and like the pouches are you know, spun around it. And, yeah. you know, cause again, like talking with like Taylor Chamberlain, right? So if you hunt 200 days a year, your system is going to be so dialed in because you do it every single day and you know, mm-hmm. but like, I guarantee you that like I would be on one side of the spectrum and like Alex is probably closer to the Taylor Chamberlain side, but like here we are after three days worth of hunting and like my vehicle is just like, everything's just thrown in there because it's (laughs) like I wore all my warm layers out and like, I got it. I think I, even in my pocket right here in my hat, I have like my neck gaiter, like all my stuff is like, you're still carrying (laughs) some of it. Yeah. It's like wherever, you know, it's not that like, dialed in so like when i set up the night before a hunt but then if you're hunting you know days and days and days in a row i don't take the time to like make sure everything is meticulously set i.e tonight like trying to film those deer and my batteries are dead because the cold just sucked it out of there you know yeah like like that like attention to detail or like allowing the flexibility to not have to index everything the night before like the magnets just put it back where it's supposed to go you know yeah yeah i mean process is everything with hunting i mean how you get how you set up your tree i mean it that's that's everything so i mean you know the dropping a panel down is a very uh minimal part of that but um yeah i mean it's not for everybody but um provide some extra flexibility. I mean, well, but my point was, is that the magnets changed all that and made it a lot. Yeah. I mean, more streamlined where it's not like tied in a knot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we added those two panels. So we made it compatible with two panel straps. Um, just basically convert it to a adjustable single panel with those. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to run it more like a single panel, you can do that. And, um, but yeah. And then, um, as far as accessories go, uh, you know, the knee pads are phenomenal, which we ran those knee pads for years. And then we reached out to the, the company just to see if there's any way we can like partner with them or whatever. And it was, um, you know, they welcomed us with open arms, obviously, and we upgraded the uh, Cordura on it because we had some durability issues with the ones that we were using. They, they just would, you know, you're rubbing on bark all the time and we would just get some tears. And so we decided to upgrade that. And then a simple thing that is kind of overlooked, but um, there's keeper straps for the knee pad straps and they were Velcro on the originals. So we changed those over to 
got some elastic ones made just to get rid of that, which is just a very minor detail. But um, I don't think anybody even notices, to be honest. We decided to do that. We probably didn't have to do that. It added some cost to it, but um, I, I don't know. I get you know. Yeah, I mean, when you're going, when you're doing, when you're making this stuff, you get a little more meticulous than you probably have to be, and st- a lot of the details get unnoticed by the consumer, which is totally fine. Um, so just a learning thing for us but yeah i mean they're they're quiet comfortable durable you can wear them walking in i do all the time you know have to pack them like some of the different ones i've i've tried out there you know and uh they they stick to the tree bark grain so that was one of the main problems with just buying some random off the shelf knee pads like we all did you know is you're sitting up there and you start, you know, you got a knee on the tree and you start kind of nodding off a little bit. And all of a sudden you're swinging around because your knee pad slipped off the tree. So you don't have to worry about that anymore with these. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think my favorite accessory though is the gear strap. I'm really liking that. I mean, Kev, Kev's responsible for that. He just, I don't know, one day had a gear strap, uh, and, um, I really like it. I mean, honestly, I was kind of skeptical of it, you know, but it's working really well. And uh, I just, it's really easy to use and it's tiny. So I'm really happy with that. And then obviously we have a back band, which I'm not going to say my opinion on back bands, but uh, we have one for those who want it. But, um, and that's pretty standard. Yeah. I've been using your um, tree strap. I've used the tethered one. Um, I used, um, guy out of Muskegon, Brian Keefe, that BK outdoors, his goat system. Um, have you seen that? I, I, I think so. I, so it's like suspenders. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. That you clip oh, yeah. on, <laughs> but then yeah, you, that's, but then you just take it off and hook it on yeah. as a strap. And, um, you only, I'm, it's not that different than like what you guys have. And, uh, it's, I've been messaging with him cause it's fairly interesting. You know, that tethered came out with like their suspenders for their, for their saddle. Um, but the only thing I like about theirs versus like what you guys have is like, it's it, yours is like limited to, what I would say is like, you have to use like a hero clip or something like that. Or do you have like another option? Like what are you guys using to hang your bow? Any webbing, any type of accessory that you can use with a one inch webbing strap, you can add on to this gear hanger. So, I mean, gear hangers are kind of something that's personal to everybody. So, you know, what we've included is more loops that you can adjust to attach whatever Mm -hmm. you want. And then from there you can go wild. You know, you could add, you know, plastic 3d printed bow hangers, whatever you want, you can put on there. So, yeah, I mean, I would recommend a, I mean, a hero clip isn't ideal. The ideal is the Kydex hook on your bow. Mm -hmm. That's what that's designed to be used with. Now, I don't know anybody who sells those, uh, so it's something you got to make yourself. I don't use one because I don't know how to make one myself. So 
Uh, maybe someday he can put that on. Jake can put that on my bow. Yeah, um, yeah. we're working on it. But what I found with my bows uh, is it kind of depends on what quiver you have too on your bow, and if you want to use it. Like I like to ha- just leave my quiver on my bow. Oh, which is I never do. That. Most people don't probably, but. I just don't want to have one extra thing if I don't need to, to deal with hanging in the tree somewhere. You know, I like having it right there where I need it, you know, grab another arrow. I don't have to go put my bow on a hook and then dig around in a backpack or something to get that second arrow if well, needed. Don't miss. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't, I haven't recently, but <laughs> it's always a possibility. Uh, no, and, and that's, you know, great, like, to 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 hear, like, what it's designed for and how um, it's it's optimized. Because I hate that hero clip. Um, I love, like, going to our property in the UP and scro- screwing in a yeah. freaking three-foot arm. Yeah. And then yeah. you can leave your quiver on there. You can hang a hundred different options off of it. But, like playing by the rules on public land and it's mm-hmm. like there's got to be some like sort of better way and then like everybody wants everything like light compact quiet versatile um and it's like i have not found like the perfect like mecca and the problem with essentially every single strap and i don't know that there's any deviation from this in the way that you guys have yours set up or tethered or, or Brian's you, it's very difficult to have it be able to index everything correctly for all the different diameters of tree. So like, even if you have, you know, the, uh, a, um, detractor would say well tethers his strap you know you just loop it through there and then it's going to be perfect well yes but that tag end may be right straight down the tree where you want it over here you want it on the right side or maybe you're left-handed so you want it on the left side or maybe you're filming and you want it you know somewhere else and then like for your guys's if you had something sewn in there so that that was specifically for you'd run into the exact same scenario where you couldn't just leave a 3d printed something or other on there and then index it. Well, that's why the loops move. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the point of those. But the thing about the loops is, is that they're there. Uh, you'd almost have to have like a specific, 3D printed thing because the loops are pretty big, and then the loops move and they well, they work. Oh, you're talking about getting I'm, away I'm thinking from about the... a bow hanger that. Would, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Not a hero clip, like so. It's just like yeah. So if you wanted to put like a what I was saying, you know, a, a bow hanger that you would loop through the one inch strap, so you'd have to adjust that to your liking, and that would move independently, just like all the loops do. And it would also have to not be like it, it It would have to be slotted on the back so you could yeah. wedge it in there because you mm-hmm. couldn't do it like it's like 
the further you get into like mobile hunting, like the more problems you never knew you had. <laughs> like yeah, every product is the best product somebody's ever used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it and it's not just specific to gear straps. It's I mean, okay, so I uh, this is the last tangent that I want to go on just because it reminded me of something, but like, so we have Jake here and he is going to um, break down for you because I told him the other night, this question is the bane of my existence as far as like gear is we have someone here with experience hunting from the Eastern woods, outdoors, climbing sticks, and he's mm-hmm. using the B sticks right now. And it, what did you use prior to that? Uh, prior to that, I was probably using like modified lone wolves or the APIs. Okay. So you have experience with both non high end sticks. Yeah. Like we'll call them consumer grade sticks. And now you've got like the premium uh, sticks. Mm-hmm. So like Eastern woods outdoors versus a standard uh, lone wolf or API versus like the beast sticks. I mean, obviously if you go upgrade from like API or lone wolf, you know, two, three step versus two step to these higher end like B sticks or uh, EWO sticks. I mean, you're going to, you're basically paying extra money for reduced weight is what you're doing. I mean, the APIs grip the tree great. I think for the most part, um, the lone wolves grip the tree great. I do like having a double step on every rung because to me personally, that really helps with your you know, foot fatigue as you're climbing, like usually as you're climbing, you want to be very methodical and like focused on safety and what you're doing. You don't want to be worried about getting to the top as quickly as you can because your feet are starting to get sore because you're not standing up straight. You're, you know, got staggered legs or whatever. So I think that's important for me. Um, I will say this just real quick. I've used every stick that exists. And in my opinion, there is no better, there's no stick that sticks is sturdy, is as sturdy on the tree as a bee stick, as, as safe. And I've climbed nasty, the, the sketchiest crap. Jake gets mad at me for some of the tree, the climbing situations that I get in. That thing is like glue to the tree. That's just my opinion. So I, I will just throw that in there. Anyway, continue. Yeah, I, the bee sticks do grip the tree very well. Um, then you've got all kinds of different strap attachment methods. You've got daisy chains, Amsteel daisy chains, sewn webbing daisy chains, uh, straps with the uh, cam buckle on them, um, you know, some sort of rope or Amsteel with a cam cleat, you know, so all those, whether you know, whatever you're using are going to completely change the way that your stick functions. So I would just, I would probably uh, just completely leave that out of the equation when 
that's kind of a personal preference. Everybody can go and mess around and, and do what they want with that. You know, I kind of sigh. I would rather carry a little bit, a few extra ounces and go with something really sturdy, like a cam buckle. Uh, that it's just tried and true. I, you know, I, I kind of like the Versa button, uh, attachment mechanism. It's not going anywhere. So I, I kind of went, I was using the, uh, daisy chains for a while and I just don't like how those are kind of limited. And you were showing me a cool mm -hmm. technique for kind of getting those in between sizes, but you're kind of limited to what you can do. And there's, there's just some little finicky techniques like that that you kind of have to master to, to use those safe, safely and effectively, I think. So, I don't know. I like the traditional straps. I'll just throw four of them in my one, you know, left hip pouch. I got that with some aiders in there, and then I've got my ropes in my other pouch. It's not a really big deal for me, but, I, you know, the two premium sticks I've used the most are the B sticks and then the uh, EWOs. We were talking about this, and, you know, both of them have some advantages and some disadvantages. The B sticks, I think, do probably grip the tree better. Um, the EWOs give you a little bit further uh, your standoffs are a little longer, so you get a little bit more purchase with your feet on the tree, which is it's nice sometimes. But um, yeah, I I think you know if you want to go as quick and light and fast in the woods as you can, you know, to some people it's probably worth the extra money to kind of buy that premium aluminum stick. You know, for some younger guys out there, you know, if you're just starting into it and you just want to see if you like it at all, it's probably completely fine to go with, you know, a cheaper option like uh, Lone Wolf or Hawk or something like that. But yeah, look, so most of my questions come from, and it was just what sparked my uh, interest was, like you said, the. Every new product is somebody's best thing they've ever used. Mm -hmm. And I think with that tethered one stick debacle. You made the, the point the other day how like, yeah, yeah. So every everybody, you know, you, everybody's got a problem that you know, they never knew they had or whatever. Right. When they, when right. they go to something new. And, and, that was, and that was what it was. It was like when that tethered one debacle happened. Everybody was like, look, <laughs> these fit right underneath the Eastern Woods Outdoors. They have to be the greatest. And, mm -hmm. like, because that got so much play, it was like, well, what about the Eastern Woods Outdoors sticks? And it's like, dollar for dollar, I don't see that being, like, the biggest selling point. Like, you know, we've had multiple conversations with it within our Patreon group and Marco Polo, like, how much time are you spending on the sticks? And if you're spending that much time on the sticks, then like, I mean, maybe you are Jake Bush and you're hanging on this stick waiting for the squirrel to jump or the plane to fly over or the gust of wind to set that next stick because that's the level. You're within 70 yards of a, mm -hmm. you know, Boone and Crockett class buck. But for the majority of people, I mean – 
you set two sticks from the ground and within let's say 10 minutes you're at hunting height and you're no longer standing on your sticks so are you <laughs> i'm just a uh, everything goes to a, a a movie reference so are you jumping all nimbly bimbly from tree to tree <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, are you going back and forth between like a multiple trunk tree that you're, you're have uneven footing or something where that I would have to imagine that it's like three quarters of an inch difference is making, you know, that big enough distinction. And I just, I just don't don't think, think I don't think it is at all. I, I think you make a good point. I, I think every single piece of equipment that you buy, sticks or anything else, you know, you need to be extremely familiar with it yourself, you know, to use it safely. So, I mean, with one stick, for instance, you may have one technique and you know your foot's got to sit on that step like this. Um, another stick might feel completely different. Uh, you know, they're all... They all probably work. I mean, when you're talking when you're talking about sticks, right? If you look at every stick that exists, they're all dangerous, <laughs> right? They're all dangerous. You got to be careful on all of them. If you really want to compare them, what it really boils down to, at least in my opinion, is packability, noise, and how it grips the tree, and that's it. You know, like. Mm. So I kind of agree with you. Like standoff distance, a di- difference of three quarters of an inch. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's a problem that you never knew you had until this whole debacle. And I think the only thing that I would add to that is moving parts. Um, it is because you can say that that isn't an issue, but if you look at um, the B sticks, they have zero moving parts. Their standoff does not rotate moving parts is an issue like Mm -hmm. because because it goes back to noise and it goes Mm -hmm. back to process it is an issue at least for me right no no no. i'm adding that to your list of uh, other things yeah like packability like so that it has zero moving parts and so as you're looking into that um like i said i just want to bring that up because you know Jake's the only person that I've really uh, ever met that's used them like for any uh, period of time. And he at least was telling me yesterday that he really liked them. Um, But I think on some level, the fact that he's using the B sticks right now kind of speaks volumes to the, even the conversation that, they're on the same level that, uh, you know, it's like six and one half a dozen, the other. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think both of them are solid sticks, you know, we're a saddle company. So, you know, we may have some ideas for a stick here in the future. We have some awesome sticks coming out. They're, they're going to be awesome. I wish I could tell you what they're going to be, but they're going to fix a lot of the issues that a lot of these sticks have. So the only thing I can, I can, deduce from that is that they're going to be very packable uh they're going to be light 
and they're going to probably have few moving parts. So, I mean, I mean, there you go. Quiet. <laughs> so, um, that's the goal. Yeah. But so for, for people that are looking for like your, when these new things are coming out or to follow along with like what you're doing and, and any of that stuff, like where's the best place to like get all the information. And I mean, for if you're into saddle hunting, like you're seeing Alex because I can't open Facebook and scroll like, two posts without <laughs> he's seeing Alex. He's, he's going to teach me something. Yeah, about sorry something. about that. But uh, but yeah. So where can people follow along or, or like keep up to date with the all this stuff coming out? Just uh, Instagram is Instagram and Facebook. I mean, uh, you know, social media isn't really our specialty. So uh, the the most consistent communication comes from Instagram, which just gets posted to our Facebook. So um, that, I mean, that's a great way. Anytime anything new is announced, it's going to go on Instagram. Uh, And then we also have a um, email list that um, we're getting going, but the communication on that as well. So awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm having a ball down here. Um, I wish I could stay longer and me too. You know, help <laughs> help you drag that deer out. Yeah. But you know, um, I can't wait to send you a picture of your drive home. I know. Got gonna, that sucker. It's gonna be great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, guys, thanks for sitting down and having a podcast, getting Jake on here to yeah. to talk. Yeah, to be on here. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Cool. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>